Good evening, fight fans. We are back on the History of Boxing podcast. We are up to Chapter 11, the finale of our Four Kings of Boxing historical survey. And we are closing up shop with Uno Mas, which comes after No Mas, which comes after the Mas is a Mas, of course, of course. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me tonight is the fifth king. Who the king? Pat the king, yo. What's up, Pat? Uh, just like Matasayahu, I'm a king without a crown. Um, yeah, we started this with, with when we started covering the fights themselves. The first was Leonard Duran, and now the last is Leonard Duran. Yep, this is it, the final chapter. You know, we uh, we did... This is the third series that we that we've done. We did the history of heavyweight boxing, and that was mostly because there was this ongoing debate about, you know, who, how do the current heavyweights stack up against the heavyweights of yore? And the question, and the answer was not well. And then we took, you know, about a year and a half or so to to talk about why that was the case, and we went through all of the heavyweight champions from um, the Jack Johnson days all the way up to Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. And then it was like, okay. Then we started talking about WrestleManias. And we looked at the history of WrestleMania and how we got from where things started to where they ended at WrestleMania 20. And here we are again, concluding our third historical series, doing deep dives into a particular part of sports history. And I mean, there are millions and millions of iterations and things we could have looked at. We just happen to like boxing, and you're super knowledgeable about it. I'm merely the student. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know about what, super knowledgeable, but I'll take it. <laughs> you're my hero, Pat. You're a jukebox <laughs> hero, as we all know. Um, I asked you at the end of he- the history of heavyweight boxing, and then again at the end of the, rest- the mania of WrestleMania. I want to start with this. Before we, we even get into Leonard Duran 3, I just kind of want to I want to end... I want to start the show where we ended the last two in your examination and your survey of the four Kings of boxing, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, who once knocked out a horse. Um, the last time for that one, folks, isn't it sad? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't say the thing anymore. Um, Tommy Hearns, Tommy, the Hitman Hearns, and always the bridesmaid, never the bride, Marvin Hagler. This was stuff you knew. There was stuff you needed to research, but um, <clears throat> ultimately, you, you know, throughout this process, you've had to re-examine these things to one degree or another. What have you gotten from this particular experience? I mean, I know for me, uh, it's a, it's. I was learning this stuff for the very first time. Um, I knew of Sugar Ray Leonard. I'd heard the names of Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns before, but I really didn't know anything about this history of boxing. So for me, my takeaway from it was I learned about the four pillars that were holding up boxing during the, during the forgotten sons era. Like we talked about when this first started, my question to you is what did you get from this experience? Um, You know, it, it's always fun to go back and look at, cause you know, I grew up really my, my boxing fandom in the live sense didn't really kick in heavy until I was like 11, 12 years old. And so at that point, we're talking, you know, in the mid to late 90s, um, you know, the era of like De La Hoya, Roy Jones Jr. Um, and, and that crowd in terms of pound for pound guys. 
but growing up, like I had always heard these names and, you know, I, it was one of those things where I had to go back and watch these guys and figure out what, what was so great about them and all, all the, and the fights between them. And it really kind of, especially now with so many fragmented uh, titles and guys who are legitimately pound for pound level fighters and boxing in the same weight division, but we're not getting fights between them. It's such an, a different experience to go back and see these four guys who are not just four pound for pound guys at the time, but would become four of the all time greats in the history of the sport and just fighting each other at every turn, you know, putting their greatness on the line and regardless of promoters or this interest or this pay-per-view and whatever, we were getting the, the best guys against each other even though it wasn't instantaneous. We're, now, we started this series, the first fight between any of these guys is in 1980. The last fight between any of these guys is 1989. And um, it, it's a lot of people refer to this as the last great golden era of, of boxing, and it's largely due to these four guys that we're talking about and have been talking about, and, and some others along in that same era. But um, when you don't, you don't often get these four all-time great talents floating all around the same weight classes fighting and willing to fight each other and do it multiple times over the course of a decade. The closest we've come since then, there was an era in that late 90s, early 2000s where you had Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad, Shane Mosley, and Fernando Vargas all kind of hovering around each other. We didn't get all of them to fight each other. You know, a couple of those guys were proven to not be all-time greats, even though they were seen as elite level at the time. And even though a couple of those fights were instant classics and there was a lot of controversy around, you know, two of them, it just didn't reach the same level as these guys did, even though a lot of these fights we get after these guys are in their respective primes. Um, and it's just I mean, incredible <clears throat> to think about in hindsight. Would you compare, like, the Four Kings to Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield, and Mike Tyson? There's, there is no fourth boxer in there. It's just those three. They all three fought each other. And and, I, and I'm asking that question specifically, and then we can get into the notes on this fight. Uh, because one of the things that we talked about was in many cases, like, by the time Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard get to each other, it's probably a little past its due date. You know, but at, at this point that we're going to talk about tonight, this, you know, Unamas fight, Roberto Duran, while he has a great comeback against Iran Barkley, and we'll talk about that. He's also, by the time we get to this third fight, like Roberto Duran's on the downside of his career. Like it's one less shot at glory, but it's not a great one, as we'll, as we'll talk about. You know, so many, in some cases, these fights, they're in their primes. And in some cases, they pass their prime, which again reminds me of Holyfield Tyson, Holyfield um, and uh, Tyson Lennox Lewis. And I don't remember totally if Holyfield Lennox Lewis was closer to uh was closer to their primes than not but i did want to get your that that seems to be the one combination i can think of in modern boxing to where you're as close as you're going to get to the best of the best fighting each other as close to the primes as they can since the four kings i'm trying to think of what you could use to maybe argue that maybe like the collection of like uh mayweather pacquiao marquez hatton even though we never got a Marquez Hatton fight. And, you know, very clearly when Mayweather uh, Marquez happened, it was very much a mismatch. Um, maybe that, but, you know, it, it's very, again, like we talked about a collection of all time greats at the same time in the same place and willing to actually fight each other. And, and 
again, do it multiple times. I mean, Lewis and Holyfield fought twice because they had to because the first fight was right. a draw. Yeah. You know, Tyson and Lewis fought once. Holyfield and Tyson fought twice, largely because the first was such an unexpected result. And then all hell yeah. broke loose in the second fight. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I think I think even though his, he was older, I think Lewis was a guy who reached his prime later because of technical adjustments he made. I think he was yeah. the only one of these guys in their actual prime when any of them fought any of each other. I think Holyfield and Tyson were both past their respective primes when they fought each other. And I think Tyson and Holyfield were both past their respective primes when they fought Lewis. Um, Although to be fair to Lewis, Holyfield held two out of three heavyweight available championships at the time they fought. Yeah. And then you look at modern last comment and then I'm, I'm going right into the notes. You look at like where things are now in terms of heavyweights, Um, you know, Tyson, uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, fought each other three times over the course of a two to three year period, but neither one of them has fought Anthony Joshua and neither one of them's fought Alexander Usyk and Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua have only fought once. You know, it's, it's when you think, when you look at the the great landscape of boxing and, you know, uh, looking for a period and then that, that's why this is an important period to talk about when do the four best fighters in any one division fight each other in their primes or as close to their primes as possible? It's this right here. And when you think of it, and we think of the fact that we're on the last chapter of those series of fights, it happened in 1989, you know, not since then, except for the one time, the one you cite, and that's as close as you're going to get. And it's not for a lack of talent because even now in boxing right now, you look at the lightweight division, the talent in the lightweight division, you've got three guys generally right now in everybody's pound-for-pound pound top 12 to 15 in mm-hmm. Vasily Lomachenko, Tank Davis, and Devin Haney. Mm-hmm. You know, Potentially, you still have Teofimo Lopez in that division if he doesn't move up. Right. You just had George and, Gambosis, who lost all of his titles too, said Devin Haney. Right. You've got all these guys, and yet the only fight we've gotten out of any of that so far is we got Lomachenko and Teofimo. And Tiafimo seems to want no part of a rematch with Lomachenko. And right. yet we have – and then despite all the talk between Devin Haney and Tank Davis, neither of them has agreed to a fight with each other. Right. Neither of them has agreed to a fight with Lomachenko, and I, I don't know if they ever will. And, again, neither of them has agreed to a fight with Tiafimo. Or, you know, you got right. four guys in everybody's top 20 pound for pound, and this is as close as you get, and you're not getting it. Right. And you have Canelo, who cleaned out his division – at super middleweight, but I mean, th- nobody in that division came even close to him. Like, you know, um, what's his nuts there from Tennessee that he just beat? Uh, it's, uh, when he on the way to cleaning out that division and cleaning all four major titles, that wasn't a situation where the th- the remaining three guys that he beat were ever gonna fight each other, and you were gonna have this like classic like we're seeing what we're talking about here. It was literally Canelo just steamrolling his way till the very end. And, and, then, and none of those know, guys were sniffing the top pound for pound ratings or anything like right. that. You know, Can- Canelo himself was because of his experience in past divisions, right. obviously, but yeah. he's not, you know, fighting world beaters in that division. It's a, it's, and not to, you know, try to diminish what he did. It's impressive regardless of wherever you are to unify four belts, but he didn't exactly fight murderers row. I think he fought one really good fighter out of that bunch in Billy Joe Saunders. Billy. Yes. I couldn't remember his name. Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah. I, I the closest you get now is maybe a good trilogy out of a out of a pair of fighters. You get a Canelo Triple G. 
you get a Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, that sort of thing. You know, or you get a guy who runs the table and cleans out a division. You know, maybe you get some, you know, like a Shakur Stevens, you know, just an up and comer who's, you know, taking belts in every division he fights in. But this sort of four guys of equal or greater ability all fighting each other over a 10 year period. It hasn't happened since. And so that's, no, and, you know, so and one other element we'll add to mm -hmm. that. The amount of, you know, in wrestling, the term is used. You give a guy a rub where just yeah. by association with you and something entertaining, somebody gets a, a star made out of it. And a lot of these guys did that for other guys in the divisions that they fought in. Where right. a lot of guys, just by virtue of fighting one of these guys and either having a real good fight with them or, you know, in the case of some of these occasions, upsetting them, they were made for life in the fight game and they would command right. good paydays for the rest of their career. Yep. All right. So where we left our heroes, we last saw Roberto Duran being flattened in his most humbling defeat at the right hand of Tommy to Hitman Hearns in June of 1984. Duran announced his second retirement. He said no mas. <laughs> Uh, after mulling that decision, uh, yuck, yuck, yuck. for just over a year, Duran uh, reunited with Luis Spada and started to come back in 1986 with back-to-back -back KO victories campaigning as a full-fledged middleweight. This comeback would be derailed by Marvin Hagler's half-brother, Robbie Sims, at Caesars Palace with a split decision loss. Let me stop right there, Pat. So what happened in this fight, and how, why, why did it go to split decision? Well, Robbie was a natural middleweight. Robbie was a full-size mm -hmm. middleweight, and uh, he was also a southpaw like Marvin, who would occasionally switch to orthodox, which was just never the fighter Marvin was. Um, so they they booked this fight because Robbie, you know, Robbie's brother had obviously fought Roberto, and this was part of a card called the Triple Hitter, where uh, the main event was actually Thomas Hearns defending his junior middleweight title against Mark Midal. And uh, so they have this fight on there. It was the only non-title fight of the bunch, but it was Roberto Duran, the legend, against Robbie Sims who still at this point is kind of best known for being Marvin's brother. They have this fight, and Roberto, even though he's clearly naturally a lot smaller than Robbie, is having his moments through the fight, but he has two things that work against him. He loses a couple points in the fight for low blows, which seemed very quick on the draw to take away the points. Mm -hmm. And during the end course of the fight, he very noticeably got tired, and Robbie, even if he wasn't terribly uh, effective, was a lot more active and Roberto just didn't answer. And so in terms of rounds, it's probably very close, but you add in those deducted points, and Robbie ends right. up getting two of the three judges to score for him. Um, so it's kind of skipping ahead here. Uh, the newly crowned WBC middleweight champion, Iran the Blade Barkley, fresh off his upset of the year victory over Thomas Hearns, was in search of another big payday against a marquee opponent. Barkley's 25-4 win-loss record wasn't especially outstanding, even though Barkley's only loss in the past 17 bouts was to the highly talented <clears throat> Sumbu Kalambe of the Congo, who held the WBA middleweight title. The vulnerable-looking Duran provided Barkley the opportunity to be another aging legend while securing another high payday, and he increased his own marketability enough to perhaps even lure Sugar Ray Leonard into a fight. Um, all right, so before we get into this, where at what point uh, during the Iran barkley Roberta Duran fight, what's the status of Sugar Ray's eye? Because I know that we've talked about that in the last couple of podcasts where his eye is like iffy and it's yeah. the cause of a retirement here and a delay there. Where are we at so, with his eye? Everything from the Hagler fight on, Leonard's eye is in working condition. It's, okay. He's passing all that vision test. That's how he's allowed to fight Lalonde and, and Tommy in the rematch. Okay. Uh, all right. So 
now we go to Iran Barkley versus uh, Roberta Duran. In 1989's Fight of the Year, Duran showed that the old lion still had some bite behind his bark, upsetting the younger, bigger champion in a 12-round split decision in front of a raucous Atlantic City crowd covered by a blizzard that rocked the Northeast on February 24th. Duran came into the bout in his best shape we'd seen him in. Yeah, I, I watched the uh, – I, I, before we started tonight, I watched him uh, – I watched the video you sent me, and him on the scale where he's, like, sucking in his gut. Jesus. <laughs> Because he looks so beefy in his previous fights, and here, yeah. he, you know, he's got that model's waist going for him. Like he really did slim yeah. down a lot for this. Yeah, well, in the the fight he had before this fight, he fought a journeyman mm. named Jeff Lannis in Chicago. Technically, it's super middleweight, so he's definitely mm. beefy, and he didn't look all that good. He he lost a number of rounds in that fight, and they, they thought was maybe he got a gift in that fight the way he fought. But right. ultimately, because he looks so vulnerable, it's what led to Barclays people being like, "Hey, let's take Duran next." He used his years of experience to set traps for Barkley and engage in counterpunching opportunities and give Barkley extreme angles where he couldn't respond. There's a couple of shots in this that he takes, uh, Barkley does, a couple of hooks from Roberto Duran where I honestly thought Barkley was going down. Like, those, those are some nasty-ass hooks that Roberto Duran threw at his head. Yeah, he, he – I mean, Roberto just – what a fight this was, man. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you said it was 1989's fight of the year because it's all action – but right. it's very, very tactical action, and and and, and, and Barkley the- doesn't just sit there and take punches. Like he gives as good as he gets. But you know, Roberto Duran once knocked out a horse, as I've been told, and, and it looks it in this fight. <laughs> yeah, Iran Barkley gets hit a couple of times, and he's just like, I what now? I ah, you know, and he's he just didn't know what was there. coming. He, yeah, and, no, and that he was didn't. that was the beauty of Duran. You know, in this fight, disguising those attacks so well, where he's had he has a little trouble getting to Barkley early. Because Barkley's using a good high guard. He's taller. He's got a longer reach. So Roberto starts fainting to the body, and he'll go to the body, but then he'll draw that reaction and start coming upstairs with the combination real quick. And it just it's beautiful boxing. And and he he, you know, typical Durant fashion, he leans his head on the shoulder to figure out where Barkley's coming from and where he's vulnerable. When he's inside, when he's outside, he draws Barkley's jab out so he can throw a right hand over the top of it, which Barkley doesn't see coming. It, it's just it's a guy who is one of the great fighters of all time, just showing you everything he's got against this younger, bigger, stronger, faster guy that on paper he should not be able to beat. And, you know, especially with the thought of Barkley just flattened Hearns, Hearns is flattened mm-hmm. Duran. What can Roberto possibly do here? The thought is he's going to go out on his shield and this is going to be the last time we see him. Do you and remember, just hit- do you remember when we, we used to do the MMA show, the, fight, the fighter logic? Remember we used to oh, talk yeah, about MMF. that? Yeah, MMF. Yeah, <laughs> where it was like, okay, well, Donald Cerrone beat this guy. <laughs> Therefore, that guy beats this guy. And yeah. I remember my one of my fondest memories of that show being told by Robert Winfrey, Robert Winfrey, we were all idiots and that MMA math doesn't work. And, it, you know, and it, it comes down to skill every single time. Because just because somebody beat one other guy doesn't mean he beats the other guy. Um, but it's funny to hear, like... The, the fighter math and this, you know, and sometimes it works, right? <laughs> sometimes MMA, MMA math works. Uh, occasionally, but a broken clock is also right twice a day. So speaking of broken clocks, uh, Roberto Durant flattened Iran Barkley in the 11th round. Oh, my uh, God. With a right hand trap that led to a combination sequence of just put him, knocked him ass over tea kettle. And uh, right the crowd hand, left hook, left hook faint, right hand over the top, boom, the, down goes the, Barkley. 
the crowd the crowd whom he lost when he said no moss was roaring back duran duran ringside commentator gil clancy in veritable disbelief at duran's tenacious performance said i can't believe this is the same guy who took the lightweight title from my fighter ken buchanan back in 1972 and that was 17 years ago don't you understand is what he said uh with that win roberto duran became a four division world champion and the first lightweight champion to ever become a middleweight champion you know we went through the little introduction there before we started and not only do we have the best of the best fighting the best uh multiple times but these guys set records these guys like Every single one of the four kings set unprecedented records in boxing. I mean, looking at them, and we don't need to have a long conversation about this. I just want to make a statement. Looking at the modern landscape of professional boxing from like flyweight to heavyweight, how many people can make those claims? How many people right now are setting records left and right that, you know, the people behind them are, are going to struggle to 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 break? Yeah, there's no, there's, I mean, I'm not going to say there's nobody, you know, cause there, there's, there's a few guys out there who are doing some things, but not sure. to this level, not in this kind of company. Yep. There's certainly not a lot of guys going 50, you know, that I think two people can make that claim. Very, so, very, very few. Yeah. With the, with the win, Duran had his sights set squarely on a rubber match with Leonard. <laughs> we talked about this at length with the no Moss fight. That was, that is going to plague him. I don't want to, I don't want to relitigate that whole podcast go back in the archives and listen to it but i can't i definitely came out in favor of the idea that i don't think roberto duran knew what he was saying when he was saying it and i and i, I don't need to go into all that again but we have talked at length about how i'm sure that fight kept him up at night and that it was like i don't even care if i lose i just need to have that fight i need to know tommy like you know i i need to get through the, i need to put the stink of no moss behind me for good win lose or draw go out on my shield. I need to not quit in the middle of the fight because Sugar Ray Leonard's being a pansy. So I, I get it, man. Like, you know, does, what does what does beating Sugar Ray Leonard at this point in 1989 really get him? Who knows? But I think this was one of those where like, no, I need to do this for me. It would, I'm Roberto Duran. Go ahead. It would free up a lot of space that Leonard was living in rent-free in Roberto's head. Exactly. And that's my point. That's why I went on this side tangent. This isn't about a belt. This isn't about a payday. This is I got I have to sleep at night. I, I gotta I gotta get past this thing because you know, yes, Mark Radledge knows Roberto Duran for knocking out a horse, but I'm an idiot. The rest of the world knows Roberto Duran for the no moss fight. And he's gotta put it behind him. And so here we are. After surviving Tommy Hearns with neither Duran or Leonard, and just to see the hitman again, and Hagler having no interest in a return to the ring, that poor bastard. What, what's my takeaway from the four kings? Poor Marvin Hagler. I just want to give him a hug. <laughs> um, the rubber match, nine years in the making, was set for December 7th, 1989 at the Mirage in Las Vegas. This would be the only fight between the four kings since the No Moss fight that did not take place at Caesars Palace as casino ma uh, magnate Steve Wynn of the Golden Nugget secured financial rights to the fight. Leonard and Duran would be paid $13 million, $7.6 million respectively, Wynn also tried to pull an end around and sign Duran, who he was confident would win the fight from Aram, whose Spanish liaison quickly turned him onto the situation to squash it and not do business with Steve Wynn again. Wynn would try his hand at promoting just over a year later with Evander Holyfield versus Buster Douglas, which wound up losing him a small fortune. You know, 
everyone likes to point at Don King and be like, corruption in boxing, corruption in boxing. I mean, Don King's not alone. You know, no. <laughs> this poor bit. Look, Don King does, does some shady stuff, no doubt. He's still continuing to do that to this day. But to act like Don King's the only one, like this stuff doesn't happen all the time, but every one of these guys trying to get over, I think misses misses the point entirely. Don King is just the great white in a sea of sharks. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Steve Wynn is just, you know, like a, a, a very stupid, you know, whatever small shark there is in this. <laughs> yeah. Co-promotions were signed with Budweiser. Budweiser. Bud. I think this is Bud. when it was the Spuds McKenzie era, though, wasn't it? Ooh, sp- <laughs> good old Spuds. <laughs> <laughs> or was it the Clydesdales? Maybe you ever you ever see the old Spuds McKenzie uh, in in Bloom County where uh, they show the panel at Spuds McKenzie pregnant like nobody knew it was a female dog. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the only television rights snag was that Aram, who had sold the rights to the national government station of Panama to air the fight, was told he would be prosecuted by the Justice Department for dealing with General Noriega, who had quickly made an enemy of sitting U.S. President George H. W. Bush, who enacted a complete embargo with Panama. The little things you have to deal with when promoting a boxing match internationally. Like, who are we at war with? What's going on in the Ukraine? Um, <laughs> that would, yeah, that would certainly make uh, selling TV rights to certain fights interesting now if they had to, wouldn't it? Yeah, really. You know, look, just look. Look, I mean, I know this is the part of our chat that you tend to turn out during, but that's why we talk a lot about like finances and. Will this will this movie get into China? They just today, not to get off on a tangent, but they just today said that Buzz Lightyear, the, the new Lightyear movie, is not getting into China because of uh, its homosexual representation in the movie. And that's going to cost Disney and Pixar like millions of dollars. dollars. Yeah, it's just well, not a few billion, but definitely a few million. It's not going to make a billion dollars, not without China. So, yes, all of this stuff is important unless you just care about people hitting each other in the head. And then in which case, eh, it's probably ignored. Um, another TV station paid the sum Aram was paid by the government to ensure Duran's countrymen would see him in the ring. Uh, all right. So for his part, good old one-eyed Jack, Sugar Ray Leonard, seemed uncharacteristically moody and grim. Yeah, I got to talk about this. I, so I watched the fight earlier today. Sugar Ray's ring walk. Like, I know by this point Tyson's a thing. But was was that what he was going for? Was he going for like I want to look like Iron Mike? My God, I, like that, like the 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 Seven Up Kid. What happened here? He looked like he came from the out of the wire. Yeah, no, no color, no, you know, no, <laughs> no jazzing up. He was he's wearing no. the the you know we come to what we come to call the Tyson towel, right? The ski cap, right? That I think it was actually a folded up ski mask. Honestly, and just, wait a few years, he looks like he jumped out of an Onyx video. <laughs> He's like, fucking Sugar Ray is like, Onyx is heavyweight, motherfuckers. It's still on <laughs> Just smack it up, Roberto Duran. Let the boys be boys. Like, it's easy, Sugar Ray. Yeah, I, I yeah, mean, he, he legit looks, looks like so an extra out of Yeah, he, he looks like an extra out of this. But I think it's <laughs> a lot of it. I, I think a lot of it is that the perception of Ray is not the same as it was during the seven up years. And, and mm-hmm. it's finally kind of being acknowledged by Ray when he does that, you know, mm-hmm. we're in a different era of his career. There's no more Angelo Dundee. He's out. Um, you know, his last two fights, one didn't sell very well, even though he won. And the other, he in later years acknowledged against turns that he deserved to lose the fight. 
and considers them one and one. So he looked, he had one of his worst, arguably his worst career performance in that fight. Right. Um, you know, even though he didn't technically lose it, that people would point to that and be like, that was probably the worst Ray we've ever seen. And rightly so at that point. So mm-hmm. now again, going from there to now he's fighting Duran again and everybody's up on Roberto because he just looks so great against Iran Barkley and defied all the odds and everybody's down on Ray and in a, in a conventional wisdom setting, everybody would be picking Ray, you know, no matter what in this fight. But because Roberto looks so good, you had the people from Roberto's era thinking he's back. And this time he's getting a shot at Ray. There's no fight he's going to be more motivated to perform than this one. And with Ray not looking like he's capable of the strategy that won him the no Moss fight because he's not using his legs and dancing as much. Against Tommy, he fought very flat-footed, very stationary for most of the fight. And didn't really seem to have the bounce in his step and the slides and the V-steps that he used to confuse and frustrate Duran the second time out. And on top of that, Roberto's not cutting, you know, over 50 pounds to make the weight for this fight in short order. They're fighting at a higher weight, which would, at this point in time kind of seemed to favor Roberto a little bit. So this is for the WB Sugar Rays WBC Super Middleweight Championship. However... Roberto Duran is coming in as the WBC middleweight champion. And there is some hullabaloo, some alchemy that has to go on here to decide which title are we doing at what weight class. Break it down for me. So in their infinite wisdom, the WBC, who is the sanctioning body for both guys' championships, this fight is initially scheduled to be a super middleweight contest where Duran's belt would not be on the line. To, be a, to qualify for being a super middleweight, you have to weigh over 160 pounds, which is the middleweight limit, the division where Duran holds the world championship. So the thought is that neither of these guys are naturally super middleweights. They've both been fighting really around that 160-pound mark. Even against Hearns, in his last fight, Leonard weighed 160 pounds. That's a middleweight, you know. Um, Duran has been fighting not necessarily all the way up at 168. He's been fighting... 162, 161, and at middleweight where he won the world championship from Barkley. However, writer George Kimball, author of the phenomenal book that we drew a lot of our information from during the series, Four Kings, available on Amazon. Terrific book, one of my favorite boxing books of all time. Thank you to the late George Kimball. George pointed out that if both fighters were to weigh 160 pounds or less, the WBC then has to contest Duran's middleweight title on the on the line. And the WBC didn't apparently know their own rule. So when Kimball called them on it, they were furious and like denounced his name in the press and then announced that, well, what would happen is it's for Leonard's belt. So if Duran loses and weighs 106, if Duran loses this fight, he'll lose his middleweight title, but Leonard won't win his middleweight title. And it was just absolute nonsense. Yeah. So I watched this fight, and it's a landslide victory for Sugar Ray. I do. We need to talk about the scores, but let, let's break down the fight itself. Um, in the script what that fight? you sent me, yeah, in the script that you sent me, you use some very, very colorful language here. But and I would almost love to read this out loud, <clears throat> but we, I, I just want to talk to you about it because I watched this and. It made me think about something because we talk about the Roberto Duran side of the Nomas fight, which is Sugar Ray, as we talked about, Sugar Ray's taunting him and Roberto Duran thinks of him as less than manly. And so he's like, I don't want to fight this 
I don't want to fight this girly man anymore. I'm done with this. And he quits. And it's perceived as him giving up. And the story is, oh, he quit. He, he, he quit because Sugar Ray was beating him. And he was like, but that's not why I quit. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter. The fiction is what is believed. So the fiction becomes the truth. But ever wonder about this from the Sugar Ray side? Does, does Sugar Ray sometimes lay awake at night and think, what if he hadn't quit? What if he got mad? What if he hit me like he hit a horse? And um, getting it as many times as he can, guys. I as appreciate many this. times. <laughs> you might even say, Pat, and I don't know if you know this or not, but you might even say, one might say that I'm beating a dead horse. <laughs> uh, I got to get my shit in. You know what I mean, Pat? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, my... <laughs> I do wonder if Sugar Ray thinks about like, what if I don't, what if I hadn't been taunting him? What if I just fought him straight up? How does this go? Does this man beat me like he did the first time? And so I wonder how much of this, you know, Sugar Ray was motivated to take because he had to know, can I beat this guy? Can, can I, if, if I stand in front of this guy and fight him, do I beat Roberto Duran a hundred years after I fought him the first time? What do you think? I think if he really thought about that, he would have tried to fight that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Ray ever thought that way. I think Ray just saw a win as a win as a win, regardless of how it comes. Based really on how how well, hang on, are you in are you insinuating that you think Sugar Ray fought cowardly? Because I mean, I watched the fight. I I mean, he fought like Sugar Ray. He just didn't do it with a taunting. I'm not going to say he fought cowardly. I'm going to say mm -hmm. he fought very calculated. Um, you know and fought in the manner of victory that would be the easiest path of victory for him against duran mm -hmm. it sure. doesn't make sense for him to stand directly in front of duran and trade punches right. because now you're giving roberto the one out he has really to win this fight fighting it on his sure. terms yeah Leonard, if sugar ray stands directly in front of roberto duran roberto duran and Ruben has free reign to hit him yes roberto duran is this fight that goes without yeah. saying and, and leonard again you know one of the things I mentioned that we kind of glossed over, like in the in the time frame from the early the earlier fights in 1980 to now, mm -hmm. Leonard's waist size is the same. Duran's waist size has expanded by four inches. Right. So you can tell he's been fighting the battle of the bulge. So he's even if he's in shape, he's not in shape. You know, let's right. be real. The guy was in his prime at 135 pounds. Now he's fighting 30 pounds north of that. Yeah. Um, and Leonard's a little more built to carry that weight better than Roberto is. But again, you're talking about a fight where Leonard's best chance to win, play the long game. Don't let Roberto yep. get close to me. At no point should I make this exciting. And then he kind of even like turns the volume up a little bit and he fights pretty dirty at certain points. And Leonard's always been a, a guy who got away with little dirty stuff here and there because of his name and everything. And because he wasn't outright, you know, doing it every chance he got. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in this fight, there's a lot of holding and hitting. There's a lot of low blows. There's a lot of, like, just bully stuff from him. Like, I'm surprised he didn't try to grab Roberto behind the trunks and give him a wedgie, like, you know, just for the <laughs> stuff he was doing. Because he's doing a lot of that stuff that is is functionally illegal. But, again, right. the referee for this fight is Richard Steele, who just progressively gets worse and worse with every big fight you give him. 
So, of course, none of that gets, you know, warned for or enforced or anything like that, much like against Marvin Hagler and much like when Richard Steele blunders later in life and Chavez Taylor, uh, Tyson Ruddick won, you know, so on mm-hmm. and so on. The guy was an inept referee who got cases of Don King. Um, but, you know, this fight, it's I think I think it was I forget which writer I, I gave credit to for the line, but the tale of this fight is one couldn't and the other wouldn't. Yeah. The score of this fight is 120 to 110, which is about right. 119 to 109, maybe. And then this referee, who apparently was related to Roberto Duran, uh, 116 to, uh, judge rather, 116 yeah. to 111. Pat, you want to give me 50 words on what that particular judge was smoking? Wish I knew. I mean, it's, it's probably not in here, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Praying that doesn't I, get us kicked off YouTube. <laughs> what? Um, anyway, <laughs> I like I, I've watched this fight. If you want to, you know, I use the term fight loosely. I always end up with a score of 10 to 2 for Leonard. You know what it reminds me of? Half of Canelo's fights. Not 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 to beat that particular dead horse. I'm not going to play the clip again. Not to beat, beat that particular dead horse. But Canelo always fought efficiently. Um, when he gets pushed, like you know, like he just did uh, in his last fight with... Dimitri Bivol. Name. Thank you, Bivol. Um, like with Triple G, even though those were gift decisions. Uh, for the most part, like if you look at his run at the super middleweight title, um, Canelo always fought efficiently he took his time he was willing to take a few on the chin I, I, I watched Sugar Ray Leonard versus Roberta Duran three and I'm thinking this is for my money and maybe maybe you disagree but I feel like Roberta Duran's off a half a step he's slower he's definitely relying on his power and Sugar Ray is doing is Sugar Ray is Sugar Ray He's, he's evading. He's using his, speed, his superior speed. Even this at this late hour, he still has the superior speed to Roberto Duran. He's using his reach. He's making Roberto Duran chase him. And I and I, and I think if there was one thing that Roberto Duran's kryptonite was his inability to cut the ring off from any one of his opponents. When he could do it, it worked out just fine, and he was knocking bitches out. When he can't, I don't know if Roberto Duran has another has another gun in the holster. He's kind of like he's out of ideas. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of glad you mentioned the stylistic thing. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the, the comparison was made, and I want to pull it up. Um, uh, it was by George Kimball, where he, he said this fight looked like Duran was a pit bull chained up to a post, and Leonard was a cruel boy with a stick staying just out of reach and poking the pit bull and making it angry. When we watched Leonard in his prime, yeah, he would fight at a distance, he would fight evasively. But he would also go in and had a killer instinct to close the show and try to finish the mm-hmm. fight. And especially when he knew he was, you know, not in real danger. This fight, in a lot of ways, is what sets the precedent for how a lot of guys perform today. Sure. In terms of those super fights. Because, you know, we like to glorify the the era of Leonard and, and Hagler and Hearns and Grant and be like, these guys never tried to coast to a decision. They went in there to finish regardless. They put themselves in the line of fire. And this fight is a perfect example of no, this this is if anything is sort right. of the prototype for what those guys are doing, for what in, your in Floyd a, Mayweathers are doing, for what, you know, when they in have eleven episodes in eleven episodes of this, there's only one Hearns Hagler. One. 
I mean, really, it's like we're sitting like, oh my god, these guys were killing each other. There's a lot of decisions here. <laughs> there's a, there's yeah. a lot of us talking about guys staying out of each other's reach and whatnot. There's only one, only one Hagler hurts. You know, again, look at look at how many of these fights end in in knockouts. And I'm not going to count right. the the no Moss fight because that wasn't right. a knockout so much as that was a guy just saying the hell with this. Yeah. You know, Hagler knocked out Hearns. Hearns knocked out Duran. That's and it. Done here, right? You know, Leonard and Duran fought to uh, and again, great fight. Fifteen round decision the first time out. Right. It went all fifteen. They didn't knock each other out. There was action. They went at it, but no knockout. Right. Marvin Hagler and Roberto Duran had a very tactical, smart, occasionally mixing it up fifteen round fight that was entertaining. Right. Nobody got taken out. Nobody got even. Nobody even got knocked down. Nobody got knocked down. And Leonard, or Leonard even, Duran won. I was gonna say even even look at like. Uh, Sugar Ray versus Marvin Hagler, where you know Marvin Hagler was just wanting to beat Sugar Ray to death, ends in a decision. You know, Leonard and- Hearns one ends in a knockout, but again, that's after prolonged tactical shifts during that fight, and it's not to the very end when Hearns is right. a little more tired and Ray kind of really has him. And it's the fourteenth round; it took almost mm-hmm. a full go. Leonard Hearns too. It's not for lack of effort for trying to finish the fight on Tommy's end in the you know the third and the eleventh round, Ray's end in the fifth round, but they don't do it. And you know again, Leonard Duran three is the least entertaining of these fights. Let's call it what it is. Sure, you but I, I I don't want to throw shade at Sugar. Look, I've thrown shade just like with Muhammad Ali. I'm not I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, Pat. You know, you know the deal, Pat. I I'm scared. I'll throw he shade. One guy, he sees one guy looking like he came out of an Onyx video, and here we go. <laughs> um, I'm scared to throw shade at Muhammad Ali or Sugar Ray Leonard for some of their behavior while in their Hall of Fame careers. But I'm not throwing shade at Sugar Ray for how he fought this fight. Just like I, I don't, you know, just the most recent example, that Cambosis-Haney fight where it was like Cambosis didn't really engage – I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with fighting efficiently. This isn't Rock'em Sock'em Robots. This isn't bare knuckle. You know, this this isn't tough, man. These are professional fighters. I think the best example, and, and, and I'm, pro- I'm going to close out with this, and then we can finish talking about the fight and, uh, and the podcast. But look at Pac-Man, you know, Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather. 50% of the people that watched that fight were like, beautiful, beautiful, technical, efficient boxing. The other 50% was like, I don't know why you make me watch this, boyfriend. Why did you take me to this party to watch this boring fight? You know, like, either you get it or you don't. Not every fight's going to be Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3, where these two motherfuckers are trying to kill each other in that ring and damn near and damn near succeeded. Some Some people just box and box well. And sometimes, sometimes Pat Mullen of the Screaming Boy podcast, really, really, really good boxing, not the most interesting thing to watch unless you can appreciate the technique. And so I look at Sugar Ray, Roberto Duran 3, Uno Mas, and I think he fought the best fight to fight against a guy whose power would have ended this fight at any given time. I'll give you the last word. Again, he fought the best 
possible tactical fight to win this mm-hmm. fight and receive the least amount of damage and put himself in the least amount of harm's way during the course yep. of the fight. And this is the thing that people were vilifying Floyd Mayweather for for years. Right. That he's not cut from these guys' cloth because he isn't fighting. Well, you have a prime example of Sugar Ray Leonard, who he was most often compared to out of that bunch, doing exactly that. This looks yeah. like Floyd Mayweather versus Carlos Baldemir or, you know, any number of guys who he fought after that first half of his career who had no answer for his boxing ability. So he didn't have to put the gas on and put them away because he's very easily just banking every round because of his superior technique. And I don't even think this is as impressive as that because Ray is essentially, you know, who's Ray fighting? Ray's fighting a 38-year-old Roberto Duran at a significantly higher weight than where he's at his best. And he's not he's not exactly, you know, wowing us with incredible defensive reflexes and stuff. He's just keeping Duran at a distance, you know, and, and... even even late in the fight, he does get caught. You know, Duran cuts him open really bad with an uppercut right above the eyes. And uh, he does it again in the 12th round. He, he hits him again, cuts him open. And that's kind of like the moral victory for Duran, if there's anything in this fight, is that he cut he, he cut apart Ray's face um, <laughs> with some of the only punches he landed. <laughs> um, and it's part of it, too, is that when we talk about Roberto not being able to get going in this fight, this fight was December 7th of 1989 and it takes place outdoors in the desert where it was unusually cold. Like we, like I talked to you about how um, in the beginning of the intro, Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant are wearing scarves and stuff. They're bundled up. You know, you saw how Ray came into the arena bundled up in between the rounds. You saw, they had basically like a saddle blanket wrapped around Ray to keep him warm. Duran had no such thing in his corner. And they're constantly putting ice water on him. Yeah. How do you expect a 38-year-old guy to get going in the cold when you keep right. doing that? Kind of just like the opposite of like the Jack Johnson fight where what was it like the ring was like melting or whatever it was we talked about? Yeah, and they, and they put one guy into the corner where the sun was beaming down on him. <laughs> ring boxing, shit, man, right? Yeah, boxing is full of fun stories. Um, or, hey, the, what was it? The, I think it's the – no, it was the, the – um, the one in the Philippines with uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, oh, the thrill in Manila. The thrill in well, Manila. I, I also where... think of there, there's uh, in 1986 Barry McGuigan, who was a very famous mm-hmm. Irish champion, uh, fought in in Las Vegas in the heat against Stevie Cruz from Texas in the desert heat. Mm-hmm. Pale white Barry McGuigan from Ireland is getting gets put in the corner where the sun's shining right down on him. So not only is he getting sunburned, he's getting dried out and blinded, and he, and he loses his title. <laughs> <Right>. Like, <laughs> I wonder why he lost. Yeah. So, all right. So this is the finale. This is the end. We are done with the Four Kings. We are not doing another series after this. I am done with series for a while. But in a minute, I will tell you what we are going to be doing in the future. I've had to rearrange the schedule a few times, so you might not even know this just yet, Pat. But we are coming back. We are. We're taking a few months off. But we are coming back with more history of boxing. I'll talk about that in a second. In the meantime, let's talk about our four kings. First, Marvin Hagler. The one king who never returned to the ring was Marvin Hagler. His bout with Leonard was indeed his last. While he would occasionally work as a color commentator for American broadcasts, Marvin would step away from the game. He and his wife Bertha would divorce, and Hagler would move to Italy making action movies, oh, good old spaghetti westerns, and TV appearances, and marrying his second wife, Kay. Hagler would split his time between Italy and New Hampshire, before his untimely passing in the March of 2021. His final career record stands at 62-3-2 with 52 KOs 
Hagler was enshrined into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1993 in his first year of eligibility. He is to this day regarded as arguably the greatest middleweight of all time. Seven Up Kid, smiling Sugar Ray Leonard. Leonard would lose his broadcasting job with HBO in 1990 after an incident at Wimbledon where Leonard and his bodyguard had given their box tickets with HBO executives to prostitutes they had spent the night with. Uh, Sugar Ray. Uh, Leonard made his first of two more comebacks in 91 as a junior middleweight fighting champion, Terry Norris at Madison Square Garden. For Can I know for one Oakland. point on that? Yes. About the hookers? So, well, no. Um, yeah. Sadly. Mm. You ever see the, the Piper's Pit where Roddy interviews himself? I'm sure I have. Okay. Well, I'm going to send it to you anyway because, first of all, it's hilarious. And second sure. of all, Ray pretty much does the same thing for this where he does a sit-down interview with himself asking himself questions, and it's fantastic for as long as it lasts. I think I've actually seen that, but, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it again. Leonard had nothing to offer the younger champion, was knocked down um, – twice losing a one-sided decision in 97 jesus christ i'm in college in 1997 these motherfuckers started in 1980 <laughs> leonard would also be inducted into the international boxing hall of fame in his first year of eligibility he would make an ill-advised comeback the same year against hector camacho good old macho camacho losing via fifth round ko in a fight he never seemed to be in before finally retiring for good Stayed a little too long there, Leonard. Learn from the murdered Kurt Cobain. It's better to burn out than fade away, baby. Yeah, he he uh, he tore a hamstring prior to going into that fight because he'd been lifting a lot of weights and just did, mm -hmm. did not work out well for him. Yeah, so, sometimes you need to know when to say no mas. No, Leonard would remain active in the sport, founding Sugar Ray Leonard Promotions and promoting fights for a three-year span on ESPN, partnering with Sylvester Stallone to create and produce the boxing reality series The Contender on a, on NBC on that. On NBC, ESPN, and Versus. Leonard lives in California, and in, in his final career record stands at 36-3-1 with 25 KOs. He is one of the most well-known boxers of all time, transcending into pop culture and remaining a fixture in the sport even after retirement. Roberto Duran, who once knocked out a horse last time. Can we just mourn the death of that particular phrase? That mourn my gimmick? I have to find a new thing now? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to look, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, really, because nothing's quite this good. Um, we'll, we'll we'll find a way to talk about Roberto Duran again. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll have to. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna have to start comparing every fight to Roberto Duran just so I can say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and another thing about Jurassic World, have I told you about Roberto Duran? Um, he once knocked out a Tyrannosaurus. That's right, right in the nose. He did. Um, sorry, I can, one of our friends is is watching on YouTube and is. <laughs> Putting up emojis to match my nonsense. So here we go. Here we are. <laughs> well played, Michelle Brown. Well played. Um, <laughs> all right. In any case, beset by financial woes, Duran would continue fighting despite being the elder statesman of the four kings. He was a regular fixture on ESPN telecast and was more on USA Tuesday Night Fights main events than any other fighter during the show. Oh, I used to love Tuesday Night Fights. With Al Duran Albert and the champ, Sean O'Grady. That's right. God, it was Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night Fights. Remember those days, Pat? USA Network had it going on, man. And then on the weekend, we had Up All Night. That's right. And, ju and just after Raw, La Femme Nikita. Remember that? And Silk Stockings. Ah, oh, Silk Stockings. All right. Um, Come back Durand to us, Raw Besties. Duran would headline pay-per-view broadcast against Hector Macho Camacho and Vinny uh, Pizenzia. 
1998, a 47-year-old Duran was given a shot at the WBA middleweight champion, 27-year-old William Joppy, in a disgraceful mismatch promoted by legendary Hall of Fame promoter Don Only in America King. Duran would continue fighting into 2001 at age 50, losing a free match to Hector Camacho before an auto accident would cause his permanent retirement. Taken out by a car, Duran. That's the only way to go. Hit that motherfucker with a car. Duran had has had multiple documentaries made of his life and career, and in 2016 had a feature-length film about his career released appropriately titled Hands of Stone. Duran's final career record stands at 103 and 16 with 70 KOs. Duran would also be inducted into the IB Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. He is widely considered the greatest lightweight of all time. And finally, Legs McGee, the tall drink of water, the hitman, the real hitman. Fuck that guy from Canada. Tommy. The <laughs> Shout out to Gavin Napier. Tommy, the hitman, Hearns. Tommy Hearns had the most success of the four kings after the rivalry ended. Hearns would split from longtime trainer and manager Emmanuel Stewart in 1990 after Stewart felt Hearns should retire. Hearns would continue fighting as a lightweight and in 1992 would upset reigning WBA. Light, light heavyweight, not a lightweight. Light heavyweight champion Virgil Hill by utilizing his often underrated pure boxing ability to claim his last world championship. He would rematch former conqueror Barkley, but now also campaigning as a light heavyweight and lose, but in a much closer contest, roughing a split decision. Hearns would then move up to cruiser weight, but would face largely nondescript opposition similar to Duran. He would suffer the last loss of his career by breaking his ankle oof, against fellow contender Uriah Grant. Hearns never officially retired and became a promoter in 2000, reaching his zenith by promoting good old Iron Mike Tyson versus Andrew Galata in October of that year. Uh, Andrew Galata did not punch Mike Tyson in the nuts five hundred times. Not he not not that night at least. <laughs> Um, Hearns would fight twice more, once in 2005 and then 2006, winning both fights and officially retiring. Like his contemporaries, Hearns would be inducted into the Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. His final record stands at 65-5-1 with 48 KOs. He is widely seen as one of the greatest pure punchers of all time. Well, Pat, <clears throat> that is the end of our survey of the four kings. This has been a great journey. I always tell you what, Pat, you know, you know the deal that I am uh, going into semi-retirement of podcasting. I'm going down to two days a week starting in August. And I watch and... cartoons? No, as a matter of fact. And, and, and be nice. We're all Never friends here. Never been more here. proud of you. But I, I, I have selected a small group, an inner circle, if you will, a Rattledge Appreciation Society, if you, if you uh, must of a, a small group of my podcast friends who I'm going to keep around. And you are one of those people, Pat. I will not. You, I can't quit you, Pat Mullen. I can't quit you, Pat Mullen. I'm so used to so, being on the other end of that. Wow. <laughs> so the history of boxing podcast will be taking a hiatus, but we'll be back in October, October 22nd, October 4th, as a matter of fact. Uh, the history of boxing podcast will be looking at a fight or a series of fights between uh two people so like trilogy stuff like that um so same format but we are just going to go from one fight to the next looking at different fights fights that were interested in over the 100 year period of modern boxing and so the list goes like this uh in october uh, october 4th we are looking at riddick bow 
versus Nut Puncher McGee, Andrew Galata. One and two. Yes, I wanted to kick things off with Riddick Bowe versus Andrew Galata after talking about them during the History of Heavyweight Boxing podcast. We must watch these. We must talk about them. We must count how many times Andrew Galata punches Riddick Bowe in the dick. Because this Let's is important actually keep me. a tally of that in all seriousness. Yeah, I, 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 will have a spre- yeah, I will have a spreadsheet available to show people how many times Andrew Galata punched Riddick Bowe in the dick. Um, after that, uh, December 19th, uh, our Christmas present to each other. We're going to have da- Gavin Napier on the show because this is his f- favorite fight ever. Diego Corrales versus Jose Luis Castillo. Apparently, it's like one of the greatest fights in the history of boxing. Just, just nothing. Whistling Dixie. Oh, this is what is it like 12 rounds of these motherfuckers just punching each other nonstop or something like that. I remember watching it back when he was all about it. Like, this is a nuts fight. It really is. It's just just pure punch. Hang on. Michelle with the hot take. Um. <laughs> I, I love this. This is how we need to close this show. Michelle Brown, you are great. Yeah, absolutely. She's she sent up a bunch of them. When we were talking about like punching a Tyrannosaurus Rex, she put this shit up here. So, you know. It's good, to, it's good to have fan interaction. Anyway, um, so yeah, Diego Corrales, Jose Castillo, hopefully Gavin will be on to just gush about that fight. And then uh, we'll, go, we'll be going a little bit more often in 2023 as my schedule settles itself. Uh, January 23rd, Pernell Whitaker versus Julio Siver Chavez. Ooh, January 30th. Yes, sir. Controversial. January 31st, Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Arguello. March 27th, Danny Nardico versus Jake LaMotta. And then April 24th, the Barrera Morales trilogy. And um, I had to move it. I haven't picked out a new date yet. But we will be doing a two-part series on um, Manny Pacquiao versus... Oh, help me, Pat. Juan Manuel Marquez. Yes, Juan Manuel Marquez. He's speaking about two motherfuckers who tried to kill each other in boxing. So that's what we got coming at you. Starting October, me and Pat, at least once a month-ish, doing you know a deep dive into a particular match or series of matches between two great fighters and Andrew Galata. So I'm really looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to that, Pat? I can't wait for October. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, in the meantime, in between time, this is Monday night. Uh, and we've got a whole week of shows lined up for you tomorrow on Damn You Hollywood. I will be joined by the Teasley family and your friend and mine, Smiling Robert Winfrey, as we look at Jurassic World Dominion, the grand finale of the Jurassic Park and World series. Do you tell us how the dinosaurs get to Europe? I will. (laughs) Um, Wednesday, Jesse's dropping a Count Ducula number one review. Uh, and I will be reviewing Creator Hate Uber Alice with Robert Cooper and said Jesse Starcher. Uh, Thursday, myself and David Wright will be reviewing Pacific Rim The Black Season 2. We've got re airs of our Long Road to Ruin uh, Toy Story trilogy. Uh, I, I posted a line. <laughs> I posted a line from that earlier on Facebook, and now everyone thinks I'm divorcing my wife. It's not. I'm not divorcing anybody. It's just I really like that line, and I wanted to share it with people because I thought it was a cool thing that I said in 2013, and wanted to show people how insightful I am. Context is key. Context is apps and and controversial controversy creates cash, as we know. <laughs> bang bang. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, we have a re-airing of Toy Story 4 from a few years ago, plus our re- our, 
hey, if you want to hear Robert Winfrey talk like a human being, check out our review of The Good Dinosaur, where he starts talking about the nature of loss and how it affects him and how that relates to The Good Dinosaur. Uh, Robert Winfrey in a very human moment on that particular review. So um, one of our one of our more interesting moments on Damn You Hol in the long storied history of Damn You Hollywood. That's what I got going on. What about you? Are you going to do your wrestling show ever or what? Yes. So Gavin has officially found music that he likes. Uh, speaking of Gavin Napier. So, yeah, Gavin and I very shortly within the next month will be kicking off Best Bout Machine, which we're going to syndicate hopefully through you, Mark. And, uh, yeah, Gavin and I are going to take on uh, very uh, big, uh, you know, popular wrestlers. And what we're going to do is we're each going to pick what we think their best match is and, you know, point counterpoint each other. We're each going to watch each other's pick for whatever the match is. Uh, I want to say more often than not, we're probably going to disagree on what the best match said offering is. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll – sell you on why we think we're right why we think you're right why we think this is the best match why we thought that was the best match maybe we'll even convince each other along the way that hey I, this was better and uh the the if likelihood he, if, is if he convinces you of the greatness of rick flair i will be i will be absolutely shocked well remember it's it's about their best match not necessarily are they worth anything uh are you, you know are you gonna do an entire podcast series on just ricky steamboat versus rick flair i don't know <laughs> is that the best match of all time i no? think so is it one of the best matches of all time yes and i think because rick wasn't the best wrestler he wasn't necessarily the best talker he wasn't necessarily the very best in any one category but he was so good in so many that i think he's the best Thank you, Gavin. Neat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna be talking about a lot of different guys and a lot of different matches. Um, we thought we'd kick it off with John Cena. Uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation because he's coming back to Raw. He's the the keynote figure of the last year of wrestling. So we're probably gonna each pick our favorite, uh, or we think is not necessarily our favorite, but the best match that John Cena ever had. Uh, can I? Can I? Can I pick mine? Can I pick mine? Does it involve the great Kali? Rob Van Dam, ECW One Night Stand Two. Sure, that's a fair that's a fair assumption. It's uh, not my pick. I'll, I'll spoil that for you now, but it, it, it's definitely worth merit in the discussion. Um, <laughs> but you know, we'll be talking about guys ranging from John Cena to you know. Tell uh, that girl Cody on Rose. Snapchat you'll be off in a second. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, but goes from John Cena <laughs> to Cody Rhodes to, you know, and we're, we're going to float it out there to you guys. If there's somebody you are absolutely dying to hear that, you know, you want to see or hear about why we think this match is their best or offer a match for us to pick on, go for it because we're, uh, we're into it and yeah, we're excited about it. All right, folks, thank you for joining us on this long 11 chapter series of the four Kings. If you enjoyed this and really, why wouldn't you? Check out our history of boxing, our history of heavyweight boxing podcast series that we finished up. Uh, if you want to hear, I've actually more been re-listening to that too. Have you? Okay. Yes. Sir. Um, if you're uh, into me and Pat, just you just like the way we interact with each other. You want to hear more of stuff that we've done. Uh, we did an entire series of the history of WrestleMania. Plus, Pat, Pat's been you know one of my regular guys for years now, so. Just, uh, I actually, our, our friend here, Michelle, asked me about the history of DMU Hollywood. And I said, well, it all started with a fight Pat and I had over the Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> so really I, I, 
It really, yeah, oh. it was totally accidental. We just had a debate. We were like, you want to keep doing this? Who wants to talk about Maleficent next week? And, you know, lo these many years later. All right. Thank you for joining us here on the History of Boxing podcast for the Punchy Pugilist, the Fifth King, Loverboy, Pat Mullen. <laughs> be well, be safe, and behave.